0: Welcome to another episode of Keeping It Simple. My name is Luis Sanchez. I'm the director of the Simple Church Collective and a host of the Keeping It Simple podcast.
1: And I'm Scott Callantine, co-host of the podcast and resident of the Simple Church Collective. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Keeping It Simple. We got my co-host here. Hey, it's Luis. Welcome, welcome. And we have an awesome guest with us today. His name is Colton Mio. Colton, say what's up to the people. What's up? Thanks for having me. Hey, it's good to have you, man. So let's just get started with telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, Who who are you? (laughs) And what do you do? And just tell us a little bit about maybe your faith journey and what you're doing now in the greater Seattle area. Okay. Well, who
2: who am I? That's a big question. That's uh that's maybe for another time. But where I come from, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, which I think you guys know that, uh, from a little suburb outside of it called Mesa. Um, it's where all the suburban <laughs> kids kinda go from Phoenix. So grew up there, was there for nineteen years through high school, grew up in like a an evangelical church. I thought it was non denominational until I got to college. Um and I asked and they said no, we were part of the evangelical free church of America, the classic EF EFCA or whatever it was um then lived in LA for about six years doing my undergrad work at Biola University and then stuck around did <laughs> did a couple masters there just because I loved debt. you said did a couple uh did a couple it's because the first one was in preaching and I didn't like it so I added a second one in pastoral counseling um so after that spent those six years there moved up here to Seattle been here for about three years now don't plan on moving um, but who knows? I don't, I don't plan my life out as far as I used to. So I'll at least be here. I committed to five years when I moved here. Not, not like any contractor or anything. I just committed to five years because I think you need to live in a city for five years to really start meeting people, engaging with people, um, and doing life with them. So our podcast is about,
0: you know, uh, micro stuff, leadership development and people on mission, particularly this season, we're talking to p- everyday people on mission, um, Tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days, but before you do that, tell us a little bit about what your experience was like in church growing up, and then how that has led to what you're doing today.
2: Yeah, Uh, (laughs) it's a good question. Um, So my, I mean, like I said, I was raised in an evangelical church, um, very run-of-the-mill evangelical, like nothing crazy, uh, nothing crazy either way, good or bad, Um, just very normal, People that love Jesus generally probably reformed theology, but generally didn't really care. Uh, Just a lot of everyday people trying to follow Jesus in this evangelical thing. Um, But once I got to college and you start kind of making your faith your own, it became a little tricky to navigate what to do with faith. I mean, I was raised in the church, loved Jesus, went on mission trips in high school, did the whole nine yards. Um, but it's, you just go because your parents do it. Like, it was cool. I had cool youth leaders and had a good time. But in college, I kind of like actually started reading the Bible, actually started processing my faith. Um, and as I like started to work in churches more, was interning in churches and youth ministry, I was like a young adults pastor for a couple years, um, just slowly became, <clears throat> let's say to put it lightly, a little disillusioned, <laughs> a little disgruntled um, with the prevailing model, not because there's not wonderful people there but just because the more I would go to the texts and the more I'd look around me, it just didn't make sense. I didn't see the prevailing model in the text, and I just, it wasn't working with my group of friends. And maybe it's a millennial problem. Maybe it was a Christian college problem. Um, but it was one of those things where we were at this awesome Christian college, loving Jesus, serving Jesus, doing these awesome youth ministry things, doing these awesome small groups, just vibrant Jesus loving community and then we'd go leave college, go to churches, and basically be in parking lot duty. <laughs> like we're, we're leading people, discipling people on campus, and then we'd leave that, and the best spot they had for us was maybe you could stack chairs after the service. And so it kind of just felt like, man, what happened? Um, where, where can I experience flourishing in my faith? Where can I experience growth in my faith? Where can I experience genuine connection in my faith? Um, and so that kind of slowly moved me towards the micro church model, simple church model, house church model. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of names. Um, and so I started thinking about that. I, I wrote some papers in seminary actually on that very thing. Um, one was on women in ministry in the church, but that kind of opened a whole can of worms uh, into just church structure in general. And why, why do we have the lead pastors like we do? Why do we run it like the CEO, you know, business, whatever, which that, that doesn't have to be bad, but I'm, it's just the why. Why are we running it like the way we do? Is this, has this how we've been doing church for 2000 years? Or is this a modern American equivalent? Um, And so that kind of, I gave church one last shot, like prevailing model church, one last shot moving up here to Seattle for about a year, Uh, tried to intern. Uh, It went well, had had no beef, had no problems, but it was just like, man, I just want to be with outsiders. And I felt like the prevailing model was more geared towards insiders, which insiders need Jesus too. Uh, people who have kids and want to send them to the children's program and go to their service and have their coffee. They need Jesus just as much as I do. Um, But I'm just more interested in churches that are more geared to those who wouldn't step foot in a pew, like what would never sit down in a pew because they get anxiety (laughs) or they feel unwelcome or they're too smelly to show up or too addicted to show up or too broken to show up or have too many questions that won't be answered in a pew. And so that's kind of generally why I entered into the micro church space. I mean, one of my one of my
0: favorite things about you, Colton, and I've known Colton maybe about a year. I got a random phone call from you one day. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm like, I don't even know how you got my number. You know,
2: it's like the Lord works in serious <laughs> ways, Luis. It's like
0: random phone call. Like, hey, man, I heard you're doing some micro stuff in the area. I've been interning at this local church, man. I'd love to hear, you know, like what you guys are doing and what Jesus is doing with you guys. And like, and like from that very first moment, I. Like it was so cool just to hear what I heard. And then later what I saw and then later when I visited what you guys were doing um was like just a heart for people that would not enter the doors of a regular church. Yeah. And so like, I want to know, and this is like big, like I want to know like where that heart comes from. Like, 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 do you have a crazy story? Like, did the <laughs> Lord save you from like the gutter? Like what happened? And like, why is your heart so big for yeah. people that are har like far from the church and Jesus?
2: Yeah. And, and the crazy part is, is that most people think I have some crazy story when really, <clears throat> really the reality is, is that I think I just experienced love Jesus in a very simple way. Uh, And the more you interact with the Jesus of the gospel. So I have this thing um, in seminary, you know, you're you're kind of fighting with a bunch of other normally men over just very basic theology things. Um, Was Romans nine the proof that Calvinism is right? Was Romans 10 the proof that Arminianism is right? All these things that I just slowly didn't care about um not because they don't matter in the grand scheme of things but just because in everyday life we don't have time for that stuff <laughs> there's there's real issues at hand and yes i do care about the end of times but jesus said hey you're not going to know so i'm like okay then i don't care um and so i think it was really i spent the later end of my time in seminary only reading the gospels that was it i refused to touch the epistles probably in some bad ways just refused to touch them because i was annoyed uh, But in other ways because i'm just like to me Jesus is the singular figure that makes our faith different from all their faiths. That's the whole, the whole ball game rides on him. Like that's it. And so for me, if he's the point, if he's the clearest picture we have of the divine, the clearest picture we have of God, and I'm spending all this time trying to learn all these tertiary things, why don't I just get to know the guy, Jesus? And I think from that, seeing him in the gospels, if you see how Jesus operates It is. I mean, we talk about this all the time in churches. It's like this great reversal where the first are last, the last are first. Um, Insiders are outsiders, outsiders are insiders. Those who think they get it actually don't get it, and those who know they don't fully get it are the ones that get it. (laughs) And and I think from there was just how the love of Jesus kind of penetrated into my being, my life. Um, So really, really nothing crazy um i didn't have any drug things i mean i come from a family of a lot of abuse of different things uh not physical not emotional but just substance stuff um but really lived a pleasant childhood with a loving mom loving dad um but it was really just i think maybe it's my enneagram type maybe it's my natural sicilian personality i've just always felt like an outsider uh, i lived in a predominant mormon area so i was always an outsider there um so i just always felt like the outside looking in but not in like a radical way it was just like that nah, I kind of go against the grain. And that drew you
0: towards people that were on the margins and people yeah. that were not necessarily going to go
2: to a regular mm-hmm. style church. Well, first it drew me to Jesus. <laughs> and then I realized, wow, Jesus has this mission for all the outsiders, not just me. And so that was the start. It was I experienced Jesus's love to me as an outsider in a Mormon community in a outsider community and then from there as I've become more of a leader, more of a driver I'm like, okay, let's go find other people that don't want to fit in in church church spaces. So when
0: we talk about this, uh like Jesus, mission and ecclesiology, like your your like you know, for lack of a better term, Jesus Jesusology should lead to your missiology, mm-hmm. you know, um, and not the other way around, right? Like your and then and then your ecclesiology. So I think when you start at that place of Jesus, then it goes to the place of mission. Like, how mm-hmm. do we, and then, and then you eventually end up like, hey, these people are not going to go to a regular, you know, Sunday morning type deal. Like, how do we reach those folks? And I mm-hmm. feel like in, in, in many ways you're kind of doing that.
1: Yeah, trying to. <laughs> let's, let's sit on that idea uh, the, the people who are not going to attend the predominant church structure. How, how, you mentioned some experience in college. Um, But now moving up here, how -hmm. long have you been pursuing micro stuff? And then the people that you're trying to reach or you are reaching, how's that going? (laughs) And what are maybe some successes and some difficulties in that and and reaching these people that you do think um, Jesus is trying to reach through you?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, So like our little micro church house church, we don't have a name. Um, because we're in Seattle, and putting church on anything is a hindrance to most people. Um, so we don't have a name. But we generally we're called the Greenwood Brunch. It's like our neighborhood plus brunch. <laughs> so we've been meeting now for almost two years. Um, we started in like late March, early April of twenty twenty-one. Um, <clears throat> and so we've been doing that for about a year and a half. How's it going? That's a good question. Because how do you? How do you evaluate people? If I was running a normal prevailing model church, it'd be a lot easier because I could gauge the amount of numbers we have, the amount of you know, butts in seats, the amount of tiding that comes in. But we don't have a building. We don't have a budget. We don't have salaries. The only thing we have is each other. We have people. Um, and so, yeah, how's it going? Uh, I love people still. I uh, haven't been burnt out on people. But to answer your question of like, what what are some of the successes or what are some of the failures, to maybe f- put in a different light. The, the best parts and the worst parts of micro church, of simple church, is the people. They're the best part and they're the worst part. And I don't, I don't say the worst part because I think people are terrible, but because that's the only thing we have. All we have is people. So therefore, the only thing that can be the best and worst is people. It can't be the building is the worst part, or the budget, or the the Sunday morning meeting that we have before service.
1: I mean, you could have bad food, I guess. You know, that could be like no, we got some have, good cooks up here. Right. Seattle's
2: kind of a snob foodie foodie place, so uh, you can't you can't have. Uh, poor poor food um so i'd say in terms of the people the best part about micro church simple church house church again whatever you want to call it um is just getting to hear stories um we have i mean we're up here in seattle most people have probably listen that are listening to this podcast have probably either heard of or listened to the Marcel hill podcast and there's just so much church hurt up here and so much distrust um i mean generally as a society, we're moving towards more distrust against organizations Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is what it is. And so there's a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, and and quite frankly, probably a lot of abuse and manipulation. And so people are very wary of religious things, of religious services, of religious language. And so in a sense, I've had to de-Christianize my language, not de-Christianize my faith, but de-Christianize my language to allow these people to see Jesus for the beauty that he is rather than the distortion that they were taught. And so the best part is seeing that happen is when someone comes with a lot of pain who hasn't been to church in two years and comes to our little brunch thing. And, you know, we have a, a couple I'm thinking of that have been there for about a year, year and a half, and now moved away to, to a place a little outside of Seattle. So they can't really join our gatherings anymore. And they're thinking about going back to prevailing model, which I'm personally like, I don't care for that. But for them, I'm like, man, that's cool because a year and a half ago, you couldn't step foot in that building. Um, I wish you were still with us, and I wish you still lived in the neighborhood. But in some ways, that's a beautiful sight to see because it's like, okay, you can now trust again. You can now love again. You can now be open again to Jesus. So that's the best part. Um, But then the worst part is it's people. Um, Everyone knows that's why people don't uh, like—they're scared of microchurch. I think they're scared of stepping down from their pedestal of preaching or teaching of their pastor type, or they're scared of the the possibility of having to be bivocational or co-vocational, which we can talk about that. Um, but I think they're also scared of, do I have the chops to sit with people in the trenches and do life? It's much easier to yell at them from a stage all the awesome things I have to say, but to actually have to live with them day by day and see that they don't listen to what you say half the time. They don't care about what you say half the time. And most of the time, they're just there for a meal. <laughs> so I think the people are a hard part. And, and I mean, you guys know this, and I can share this on the podcast. We had a, a member of our our simple church in the last, about a year ago, uh, commit suicide. and so. You know, that is something that's super hard for our group to go through and super tough for our group to go through. And he was a close friend of mine from college. Um, but he was the classic, classic case of someone who was a Christian, got hurt by the church, had a lot of questions, left the faith, was gone for a couple years, and through our brunch, just like from day one was there and was slowly starting to make strides towards Jesus again. But with the the kind of doubting Thomas of like, man, I just don't know if I can say 100% this thing's real. I don't know if I can say 100% that I believe in this. But you know what? I'm going to show up. I'm going to try to follow Jesus. I'm going to try to do what he's saying. Um, And he eventually succumbed to his fight with mental health. But yeah, I think those are the tough times um, because people's stories aren't always on a redemption arc. Human history is on a redemption arc, and I think we're heading towards a redemption arc. But our stories aren't always clean cut of the, you know, you go down in the trenches and you come back out to glory. That's just not always how it goes. And so a lot of the times, Simple Church is sitting with people while they cry, sitting with people while they're hurting, sitting with people while they're dying. And other times it's sitting with people while they're laughing, sitting with people while um, they're crying tears of joy, sitting with people while they're seeing the birth of their, their baby child. And you got to be a part of the whole process up into that. So it's just, it's the complex, beautiful, messy, tragic, yet redemptive nature of humanity that makes microchurch so beautiful. And I don't think I'd have all the experiences that I have right now if I was still preaching from a stage and still in a leadership position because I'd be unattainable. Um, I'd be inaccessible for most of my people. So that's kind of what we've been up to. Um, We're still figuring things out. We just finished going through the book of Matthew, and so we're probably going to start Genesis in the new year. I don't really know why. It's just that's just what the people voted. <laughs> we got kind of to do like a democracy.
1: You always start in the beginning, right?
2: Yeah. Well, we kind of skipped it. We started in the New Testament beginning. Now we're going to the Old Testament beginning. So we, we're still we're still figuring things out. Um, we've lost people. Literally, we've lost people to different churches. We've lost people to the faith entirely, but we've also gained people. It is just a beautiful, organic thing that's still being built, still being written. Um, so it's beautiful. I love I love where we're at. I would not change a thing, even with the last year of hardship, losing, a, losing the good buddy in our group. Um, still would, would not want to be in any other place. And to me, this is kind of my last thought, and you guys can take us somewhere else if we want to go somewhere else. But to me, I was kind of reflecting the other day, and I'm like, man, what a beauty and an honor that for my buddy, I kind of got to be his pastor for the last couple of months of his life. Like a dude, I wasn't planning on getting emotional, but a dude that just didn't fit in at church, that's questions weren't answered that story wasn't listened to, That pain wasn't heard. And for some reason, this weird little brunch group we had, he trusted enough to show up. And we got to walk with him in the last few messy months of his life. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't have had, if I was still at my old church, he would have never shown up. He, he couldn't step foot in that building, but he could step foot in my living room. And I think that is the beauty of what we do.
0: I've heard it said, you know, thanks for sharing that, Colton. Because there's a lot there. Like, you just dropped so many. It was like a fire hydrant right there. Like, a lot of stuff. <laughs> you got to cut me off then, if I uh, nah, spray it everywhere. We don't got to cut you off. But but what, I mean, just so many things that I'm just reminded of. Specifically, like, you know, one thing. I think it was Caleb who said this, and that's a mutual friend of ours. And maybe we should have him on the podcast here. Oh, yeah, you should. The next little bit. Yeah. Um, But, like, Uh, how simple church or micro church is usually like either the first step in or the first step out for folks. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like for this friend, particularly it's like, Hey, dipping their toe back in the water Mm -hmm. and kind of trying to get a sense for man, like fighting for their faith, even though they may not even call it that, you know, like, and we have folks like that, even in our Sunday uh, dinner expression, I don't know about you, Scott, with your new deal, but like people that grew up in the church and, and I think the most alluring thing for them is the community, you know, because, like, we were literally created for community, the mm-hmm. Trinity's community, you know. Adam was lonely before Eve, you know. And, like, Jesus had the 12 and the 3, and you know. And, like, we we need people, you know. And, like, I forgot who it was who said, you know, like, literally the number one thing that's plaguing, particularly people in Seattle, is loneliness. Yeah. You know? Um, and that might be the case for San Francisco or San Diego or New York or Chicago or whatever. But, like, people at this day and time, like, we're literally the most, quote-unquote, connected, you know, because mm-hmm. we're always attached mm-hmm. to our phones. And at the same time, people, I mean, look at, like, with Twitch and all these other folks, like, still feeling like, Wrestling with their things and not being able to, like you know, address, you know, their own mental health stuff. I I was even talking to Scott about a, a mutual friend of ours today, like about people just having a hard time with like life, you yeah. know. And I think what what simple church, micro church, whatever you want to call it, does is it creates a place for people to lean in and just be themselves in community. So let me ask you this, like, how have you seen people do that over the last, you know, however long you've been kind of experimenting with this, like people leading in and then like, what would you say? So part B to that same question. So have you seen it? And then what would you say to, um, to leaders, um, that want to lead a church like this, like, um, about, you know, what, what they can expect, you know, from people, um, once they have a community like this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So what we what we've seen is that, I mean, just like most churches, uh, people can be fickle. <laughs> uh, they can uh, say it again. Uh, they can be flaky. They can be wishy washy. They can be stressed out, burnt out. They can just get done with their job and be like, "I have no time left." And and so it's hard. I mean, I think one of the reasons I've moved, and even some of my friends and community have moved towards Simple Church, is because Simple Church is trying to adjust and morph around people's lives rather than forcing their lives to morph around a system or a program. Because um, most of my friends, they, they used to go to the sermon-centric models on Sunday. And then that sermon-centric model would ask them, hey, can you volunteer on Wednesday night? And then can you come to the small group on Tuesday night? And then can you do this thing on Friday? And they're like, hey, I already work 50 hours a week. And now you're adding 15 to 20 hours on top of that. And then they get burnt out or they, they stop going to everything. And they just show up on Sundays now. Um and I think it's a it's a fair critique when people have that complaint because I mean honestly when I was a pastor it's like well my 40 hours are at the church and it incorporates everything it incorporates my volunteer hours <laughs> incorporates my community hours um I'm working 40 flat maybe 50, you know an extra 5 or 10 here or there but everyone else is working 40 to 50 normally and then adding on top of it um so we we still have those same problems where I think people just are are burnt out at life I think covid really lowered everyone's social capacity but yet they still really need social interaction but yet they don't have the like the tools or the energy to withstand like multiple times a week of having conversations. And I think we just have a this is a side note, but I think we have a huge self-care problem. Um especially in a place like Seattle that's that's pretty we got a lot of like pop psychology and so we really want to take care of ourselves. But I feel like taking care of ourselves has become hey, let me just watch Netflix and eat food and that's like what I'm going to do tonight to like recharge. And I think sometimes that it's perfect. That's a great solution. But for a lot of my friends, I'm like, man, if you're having to come home every day from work and then watching Netflix and eating and can't hang out with anyone, something's wrong. And not like in a shameful way or in a bad way, but I'm like, hey, I know it's going to take some effort to leave the house to come join this thing. But I hope that when you leave this thing, you'll leave with a little bit more energy and kick in your step than if you did. But it's that, it's that trade-off, getting people who are on empty give even more to make that decision to leave their home and come to the group. They have to go into a deficit in hopes that they come to a positive at the end of it. So they'd rather just stay at neutral and just stay there. So I think with our group, we face that same problem. But the beauty is, and this is how I think people are really engaging, is that we then maximize the few hours we get. <laughs> so normally, you know, it'd be a two hours on Sunday and you, you just have a sermon and worship for an hour and a half of that and maybe a 20-minute chit-chat in the lobby before or after. Where for us, it is an hour and a half of talking (laughs) to one another, engaging. Um, So I think I've really seen people engage in that way, and that's been really good for them because I'm not asking them to come listen to a sermon and then go to a small group. Like the whole thing is engagement. Um, But two, when people become family, and especially with our group when we live in a neighborhood, probably 80% of our group lives in a three-mile radius of one another, um, it makes it so much easier when someone's doing something on a Tuesday night and invites you. I can like literally walk half of the people in my church's homes. (laughs) We just had a Friday night like Advent communion dinner that I just walked to. It's a five-minute walk. Um, But if that was 20 minutes away, I probably wouldn't have gone (laughs) because I was tired from the long week. But knowing it was five minutes away, it's like, okay. So I think that is where simple churches have not an edge because it's not a competition. The church is unified, but have something different where the hope is that it's more neighborhood-based so you're not driving 35 minutes for social engagement because when, when you're exhausted at a night, you're not going to drive that 35 minutes. So I would say I've seen people press in in those ways, um, but it's, 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 it's humans. We mm-hmm. have all the same problems that anyone else does. I'd say if you're a leader, and this is more where I have more clear thoughts on, to be honest, again, I, I think simple churches are exactly where leader types need to be. Um, We were we were joking before (laughs) recording about which leader I identify with the most, and I jokingly said Mark (laughs) Driscoll. I knew we were going to (laughs) say it. Which you know he he's probably an Enneagram eight. I'm an Enneagram eight. If you care about the Enneagram, I swear it's not witchcraft. Um, Although it is a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, it it is a little (laughs) bit. It is a little bit. Uh, It's not fully. It's not fully though. Um, But anyway, I saw in him my leadership style which was push, 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 challenge, 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 drive, drive, drive. And I have a motor that's like longer and stronger than everyone else. But what you saw in Mark's story at a bare minimum, no matter how you feel about Mars Hill and how you feel about Mark Driscoll, he got very lonely at the end, very isolated. And whether that was, you know, whether that was because people were betraying him or whether because he was abusive, whatever you want to look at it, I don't care. I have my own thoughts, but I'm not going to share them. Um, (laughs) <laughs> There's enough podcasts out there on it, so you don't, need, you don't need more of the fodder. But what Simple Church does is that it forces leaders to actually be seen. It forces your life to be on full display. It forces you to be held accountable, and it forces you to be just one of the group most of the time. I see a lot of Simple Churches that start with kind of, I, I kind of call it this way, um, so just stick with me on my play on words. We'll use house church as the kind of the, the word. But I see a lot of churches and homes, but not many house churches. And let me explain what I mean by that, is that a lot of times simple churches are started by charismatic, rebellious, rogue leaders that go and take their following and start a little empire, but it's in a home. So it's nice, it's cozy, it's still, it's more community-based than from a building. And I, I do think that's better than maybe a building. But not many of them are doing house church, which to me, again, this is just semantics. But what I'm saying is, is that not many of them are changing the very definition of church. We're not just taking the program and procedures and sermons and leadership structure and bringing it into a home so it's more cozy. We're actually trying to change how we view one another, how we view leadership, and how we view the very mechanisms of the church to be more family, what a house is, to be more hospitable, to be more welcoming. So, what that means then as a leader, um, and this is good for my own story, when my buddy died in October, around November, um, I started developing PTSD because um, I was on the scene. When he died, I was the one that found him. And so I started having panic attacks and flashbacks pretty much every five days for about a four-month window, Um, which if you never had a panic attack, I don't wish anyone (laughs) to ever have them. Uh, It was the first time I ever had one. But the beauty of the Simple Church we have is that since I was just one person in this family of believers, is that Sunday mornings was the one place in the whole week that I didn't have anxiety. I would have anxiety walking dogs. I have anxiety playing video games, I have anxiety doing puzzles uh, because that was something I had to do. I have anxiety literally having to do any single thing in that four-month window. But the one place I didn't have it was on Sunday mornings when we got brunch. And I think the reason for that is that because for the first time in my life, I wasn't someone that was in charge and in control of every single person's spiritual health and well-being, but I was just one person in a family. And in that family, a lot of times I lead. (laughs) And a lot of times I'm driving that ship. But in the same way in a family, when I was struggling, the rest of the family was there and they led and they cared for me. Um, I have so many people in my house church that I just literally ran to mid panic attack and just had a panic attack in their presence. Um, And so I think for leaders, man, I think you got to be ready to be seen. And I quite frankly, just don't think a lot of leaders are ready to be seen. Um, And so there's a part of me that for a lot of them, I'm like, hey, maybe Let's start making baby steps while you're still in a prevailing model because I think you're going to run too quickly or enforce bad habits into this beautiful little family that we're starting in a simple church. Because again, a lot of people want to take their pedestal on their platform and just go take their empire from the building into a home. And to me, I'm like, I'd rather you just stay in the building. (laughs) If you're going to come to simple church, if you're going to come to this, uh, I want you to be willing to lay down your power. Lay down your hierarchy, lay down your gifts, lay down your skills, and to be a person, a member, a part of this beautiful, broken, messy, redemptive family um, and so yeah, it's really worth it, but this has been the hardest year of my life and the most beautiful year of my life because I've been the most seen but also the most held um, and I think that's that's the beautiful part of what we're doing.
1: You were talking about the leader um I want to pause there and just sit on that for a second. Mm -hmm. Is, you know, the person who wants to start the simple church or uh, the person who's in the prevailing model, like that's what they know, that's what they've grown up with, and maybe they're seeing some shifts in the church or in the culture, or um, maybe let's just stay in the American sphere for a second. Mm -hmm. What would you say to the person as a leader, whether maybe they're a seminary student? or they're in some kind of training program, or they're looking to join something, or they're a, a current pastor for 15 years, and they're, they're looking at what's happening in their church. Like, mm-hmm. I might have to make some changes with staff, or how I structure, I might have to become bivocational, or whatever. Mm-hmm. To get in the healthy place, where then they can then actually lead their people well, whether it's 20 people, or 200, or mm-hmm. 2,000, what are some of those steps you think the leader should be taking? To, to get in that healthy place so that they can be amongst the flock and be one of and not be this mm-hmm. thing on a pedestal. And when they do make a mistake from the pedestal, it's mm-hmm. crippling. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, Scott, you ask the question I think a lot of you leaders are asking themselves right now.
1: <laughs> Give me the answer, man. Uh, <laughs> well,
2: that, that's the problem. I don't. I don't know if I have an answer for one. And two, if I did have an answer, it is way too complicated and unique to each person that it'd be hard to give. I'd have to hear your story. Because um, I think the biggest thing a lot of leaders haven't done is story work. I know everyone in podcasts are like, you need to go to therapy, which is, I believe in therapy, it's great. Um, and I've been in it, still in it. <laughs> uh, it's been one of the greatest helps of my life. But more than that, to get away from like the therapy taboo that leaders are scared of or wary of, I'm like you need to do story work. Because most of us in leadership, it we can't just simply say it was a divine calling. I think God does divinely call us and I think he works with our stories. But I guarantee in every leader there's a part of their story that chose leadership because they needed it. Um and maybe that's because they needed approval, maybe that's because they needed affirmation, maybe that's because they needed power and control. That's me. <laughs> um I don't I don't care if you approve of me or you affirm me, but you you better respect me. It's kind of my philosophy. Uh again, not my healthy philosophy, but uh, the reason of how I initially got into positions of leadership. And we're kind of, we got to realize that the systems at bay or at place in America right now are kind of creating a system that is unsustainable for leaders. Um, you have these leadership gurus at the top, which some of them have great things to say, some of them are okay. Um, and then they they appoint the next range. I was one of those people where it's like, oh, you're the next, you're the next leader. Um, whether that was with Acts 29, I had some leaders from there say, you're the next leader. But then I became a person that believes women can be pastors and then I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't allowed to be there anymore. But whatever it was, I was always one of those kids that's like, oh, you're a leader. You got the stuff. But really what they were seeing in me was that I had a compensation in my character because I was picked on as a kid. Like, they saw courage and confidence as leadership skills when really those are rooted in weakness and insecurity and pain. And so I think for—
0: <laughs> Y'all need to follow this man on his socials right now is all I got to say.
2: Uh, we could talk about that at the end. Uh, <laughs> but uh, again, and that's—I think people haven't done story work to realize, oh, I'm, in, I'm not just in positions of leadership for godly reasons alone. I'm in positions of leadership because I've worked on my craft because I felt inadequate. Because I worked on my preaching, because I felt insecure, and I used to be scared. I used to be red in the face in youth group, if anyone called on me. And I think we just need to focus more on, why am I here? What's my motivation for leading? Am I like gifted in leadership because God has truly gifted me, which I think God works in story and in brokenness, so that's probably true in everything. But is it also because I was a scared little kid or I was a hurt little kid, or I was an abused little kid, and this is my coping mechanism, is that I've flocked to positions of leadership so that I can be safe. But really, it's, it's kind of this trap. And so to answer your question, Scott, which really isn't an answer, is that I think to start the journey towards health, leaders need to uh, – <laughs> sorry, the image made me laugh. But this, this is what I literally do. Uh, you need to strip down butt naked and look at yourself in the mirror emotionally not necessarily physically. Um, Look at yourself in the mirror and talk to God about it. (laughs) Like legit. Uh, Because I think we are so scared of why we are actually here and where our strengths come from. And we're so scared of people finding out that we stay hiding, that we go into even more hierarchical positions so that I can be alone and I have no accountability and no trust. Um, And so, yeah, I, I just think you are in positions of leadership Partially because of God, partially because of your story, and partially because of every human's innate need to be in power over. Um, doesn't mean all leadership positions are bad, but it just means you need to be aware of that and monitor that as you take steps towards health.
0: I mean, I think you touch on a specific type of person that leads or finds their way to leadership in a micro space. You know, like every single person I think that I've found um or that's connected or reached out or have said hey we'd love to lead a thing or i have like countless stories of like like the not the right leader you know that mm-hmm. wanted to lead a thing it's like put us on your website you're like yeah. chill be like we basically Pause. don't know you yet like <laughs> what are you doing like you know like it's because of those things that you just mentioned you know yeah. and so
2: well and, and 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 to give them credit and their heart of hearts and what they're aware of it's it's honest it's yeah. sincere. They're not they're not being malicious. Sure. And that's not what I'm saying. I think even in your best of intentions, yeah. there's your story lurking. Um, and that's just like you're saying, I that's why I'm like whenever people come to me and like, oh, I want to start a simple church, I'm gonna lead one. My first thought is, why don't you come just be a person first? Right. Just come be someone who's loved by Jesus, and then we can talk about if you can lead for Jesus.
0: <laughs> so many layers to this and like I love it. I love that we're doing this in person too Colton. Love that you're here with us like and then there's like inner work stuff happening, there's like you know like personality stuff that is happening, there's like calling stuff that is happening, and like this is the kind of stuff that we've been trying to get at for a really long time, and I think that um in you, Colton, I think that it kind of like there's a convergence of all of those things, and then there's pain right like. Mm-hmm. The, the pain a lot of times is what forces us to kind of do some of that digging mm-hmm. you know like hey what is all of this stuff actually and where's this coming from and and so sometimes the lord does things through pain that only pain can do you know and it's like i wish although, we could i wish we could learn another come on, That's and that's <laughs> what i'm getting at and that's what I'm getting at you know and and then I think some of the leaders that want to lead um have skirted some of that pain or have mm. like either like you know, shoved it under a rug or like have not, you know, but man, I'm so grateful for you. I want to kind of just kind of change gears a little bit. You have recently joined the collective. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, like your hands are in like four different, if I can count right, like simple (laughs) churches, micro churches, house churches kind of things. One that you, uh, you know, help provide leadership to, one that came out of that, one that you, you know are loosely attached to with colton uh with uh caleb rather Mm -hmm. and then the one that you know uh, recently came under the collective with the pickleball basketball like
1: physical (laughs) activity simple church so
0: um tell us about um you know a your philosophy of like simple churches and then b like how that recently that last one has come about um Mm -hmm. and then kind of you know you know, how that integrates into, you know, your your everyday life?
2: Yeah. Uh, first off, I don't know if I have a philosophy of <laughs> simple churches, but that's a good question. I mean, I, I have philosophies. I just... I think you haven't written a paper on it yet, dude. Well, I technically have, but uh, not in the last three years. Um, so it could mean nothing. I could completely you disagree. You mention
0: that paper when you called, I know,
2: me. but I there's a good chance I completely disagree with myself now. So who knows what I wrote. Um, <laughs> that's that's what I've found. I, I keep tabs on myself and receipts on myself so that I can come back and be like, wow, what an idiot. Um, but in a very kind way, because uh, growth. Um, so I'd say, I'd say my philosophy of simple churches is. For me personally, I don't think I would never claim this is the philosophy of church nor the philosophy of simple churches. But I'd say for me personally, I've told people uh, within my little simple churches is that my whole hope for simple church is to cater to the outsider. That is the number one goal, my only goal. And sometimes I probably go too far where I neglect those that are kind of insiders and that are already kind of following Jesus and that are comfortable with singing songs and praying prayers, But for me, if I'm leading something, uh, which I don't want to do very often, but when I am leading something, I'm going to cater my language. I'm going to de-Christianize my verbiage. I'm going to de-Christianize my tone even. I want to make sure I'm not using certain emotional manipulation tools that I learned in seminary um, because the people I'm catering towards is the people who say, maybe think in their hearts, God's given up on me or have said in their hearts, I've given up on God or who have said I still like Jesus but I think the church hates me. I think Christians hate me and I don't fit in. Um, and so those that's my philosophy is to be with those people and to meet to cater simple church around them rather than around those who are already comfortable, who are already in their seats. So that that's kind of my base philosophy and it looks like you got <laughs> you got to well, follow up. Well, I mean up. I've been to one of your things
0: and like you're your heart is actually for the outside, but I don't know that you—at least at the things that I've been—I've heard you. Like I don't know that you de-Christianize them as much as you de-churchify them. Sure, sure, you sure, know, because sure. like yeah. you really still point people to Jesus. Oh yeah, but it's like you're trying to like get rid of like the churchy kind of hurt things that yeah. things that might move people away from God. No,
2: I'm, I'm glad you you brought that up because, and that's that's good. I mean, again be in who I am as a person. I say things very strongly and very definitively, but I don't always mean it that way. <laughs> I've noticed this about myself. Um, but that is one of the but things that's one of my favorite things about you I know but is that it... you're cognizant of that like
0: outsiders and people that like yeah, yeah. how yeah. how they may perceive like the thing. You
2: know? Yeah. But I think sometimes when I explain to people my philosophy about that, they think I'm trying to water down the faith. And I'm like no 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 uh, I was at a bar with some friends um, and some like, other simple church kind of people, some non-simple church people, and we kind of got in a little debate about, are you watering down the faith by how you do things? Because um, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes refer to God as a divine, or I'll sometimes meet people where they're at and the spirituality they have and seek. You know, very Acts 17, Paul, of, hey, I see you guys follow an unknown God. Hey, Seattleites, I see you love justice. I see you love peace let me tell you about someone who's got that, not like a BS, you know, Christian pastor way, where it's like just stringing everything to Jesus. And these people like, well, aren't you watering down the faith? Like, you know, and I'm just like, and I I looked them right in the eyes. I'm not going to say this in the podcast, but I looked them right in the eyes and I say, no, 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 no. I effing love Jesus. Like love him to my core. Um, It is not a watering down. It's not because I'm okay with people living their lives without the love of Jesus, but it's mostly just because, There's all these barriers and hindrances that the church has created, uh, at least the American white evangelical church has created. I don't want to just say church because church is largely in the global South now. It's not in America. (laughs) Uh, Facts. So the white evangelical American church has put up a lot of barriers and hindrances that if you don't fit a certain box or meet certain criteria or talk a certain way or dress a certain way, you're going to be one step removed. They'll create pathways for you to get closer to it. and You just have to adjust a little here and there, but I'm just sick of it. And so I'm going to throw that all out. But when I throw that out, a lot of people around me think I'm throwing their Christianity away. And I'm like, no, no, no. no. I'm stripping away the fat that has grown onto this beautiful Jesus figure we have. So that is my baseline philosophy is wherever the outsiders are, I want to bring Jesus to them in my body. That's what I want to do. Um, So from that, what we've kind of done just to give you a scope of my life and and what I'm involved in. Uh, Like Louise said, you kind of have your hands in four simple churches. I don't recommend that. Uh, And I, and I even like encourage you not to just because again, I want you to, you should just be a person. This, this kind of just happened. Um, And I think it takes a long time before you can get to having any kind of hand in multiple communities and not because you need to like earn some leadership gifts or like have some great capacity like I do, but, me more is it's learning how to reinterpret and re-internalize what the gatherings are. Because I think a lot of leaders go into a gathering, and it's, oh my gosh, I got to carry this group. And if you have four of those groups, you're going to burn out. But if I'm going to a group and it's like, oh man, Keith and Lynn are here. Uh, Sam and Taylor are here. Naveen's here. Wow. These are my family. These are my people. It doesn't feel weighty, even if I'm a part of orchestrating some of what's going on. Oh, Mike and Mary Jean are here. Oh, Taylor's here. Oh, Riley and Trent is here that doesn't feel like I'm going to this thing where I'm pulling all these people on a sled in four different arenas. So just as a caveat. Um, so one of them, it's just Sunday morning brunch. What we do is, um, which is just kind of cool. I, I really like how we do things because I think it can translate to most kind of American churches is that we listen to a podcast during the week. We outsource our teaching. Um, so we use the Bible Project. We use the Bama podcast, if you've heard of them. Um, we use other teachers, depending on on what passage we're in. And then we get together on Sunday and we discuss it. And sometimes it's every week. Sometimes it's every other week. And the opposite weeks, we do like relational things. We go to parks and hang out and talk. Or we go on like a meditative prayer walk, whatever. Um, So that's one thing we do. And I love that because when we outsource the teacher, when we get together to discuss it, no one's biting their lip or biting their tongue, worried that they're gonna step on the toes of who just taught. I don't know if you guys have ever preached a sermon and gone to a small group after. No one wants to talk about it in front of you. Uh, because they're scared. You're the expert. I know less than you. And I don't want to wrestle in front of you because Luis already has all the answers. So when Tim Mackey has all the answers, when we come together, we can wrestle. And if we disagree with Tim Mackey, he's not in the room. And so it kind of opens up the space that we take the expert out of it. We're all co-equals and we can discuss it. So I love that about our Sunday gathering. I've started kind of with some other people this every other night, Tuesday night, or every other week, Tuesday night gathering. Um, Again, we don't call it church, and most of them would probably hate it if they listened to this or be referred to it as Simple Church. Uh, that one is, is very much almost there's about 15 of us. Every single one of those people was either a high-level volunteer or on church staff, and probably every single one of those people does not fully identify with being a Christian anymore, and they're all 30s and younger. Um, so this is a group where it is a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of questions. Um, and so we just sit and we, we don't even know what we're doing yet. We've only been meeting for four months. Um, we're still trying to figure it out, but I've already seen where it's, it's kind of like an AA meeting. Uh, one of the the girls in our group, she called it, um, uh, Christians anonymous because <laughs> it's a bunch of people that would never tell if they were at a pub and you asked if they were a Christian, they'd look you in the eye and say, no. But if you asked what they believe in, they'd say, well, Jesus is still pretty cool. <laughs> so it's kind of this. Unique group, so I would consider that another simple church. I would never call it that because I don't want to put language on people. But functionally, I've talked to some of them. Like you guys realize, like we are we're doing what church is, right? We're meeting together, we're talking about Jesus, we're breaking bread together. Like we're literally Acts two church. It just doesn't feel like it because we're not in a building in a pew. So that's the second one. Um, the third one is is not really that I lead at all, but it's just a buddy that I'm connected with named Caleb. They've been doing house church uh, for about six years. Um, and just have helped out sometimes teach there or lead there and literally just be a friend. Um, and then the fourth one that's just kind of recently started, which again, people might not call it church or might not call it ever, is just right here at the church we 're meeting in right now um, to talk on this podcast. I've started kind of a pickleball basketball church just to create a space for recreation to see if relationships can develop, not with an agenda where it's like, "Hey, come play basketball, and once you 're done, come listen to a 15 minute sermon that I'm going to give." But literally, hey. You just had a a baby with your girlfriend. I know times are hard. I know you're lonely. Come play ball for an hour and a half. Be with guys that care about you. I'll care about you. um, And slowly build friendships that way. Um, So that one, again, almost none of these I call church. Almost none of these I would ever put that title on it. But it's just places where church is happening. Um, Because again, I think people want to put church in this box of church is something I go to. Church is something I do. When for me, church is something you are. So no matter where I go, if I go with anyone who's you know under the lordship of Jesus, church is happening. If us three right now, this is church happening for me. If we go get donuts and share life, which we've done before, church is happening. Uh, if I go play basketball with some friends, because Jesus loves recreation, Jesus loves play, church is happening. Um, if it's Sunday brunch and we're literally talking about Jesus, church is happening. <laughs> uh, but again, I just think people have siloed out their spirituality to a Sunday morning block of two hours, and they've lost the identity of church. And church has become, you know, the, the question we ask, hey, where do you go to church? And I know people have ramped and riffed off that before, but literally that question doesn't make any sense to me anymore. I, I don't know how I could go to something that I am or something that I'm a part of. Um, so that, that's kind of the four things we're doing. Who knows if all those will stay. I'm totally comfortable with failure <laughs> and if those things fizzle out. Um, but that, that's kind of what we've been up to out here.
1: Yeah, church is not an event. It's an identity. Right? Mm-hmm. It's our identity. I l lo- I I love that you said, like, you can't actually go to that because that's who we are. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I've tried to change my language to what church are you a part of? Exactly. Exactly. Right? And, like, I think so that's So what good community question. are you yep. identifying yep. with and participating in? And doesn't
2: that open up the realm for you to, like, not be like so critical and competitive of other churches because right. you're viewing them as a part of this greater thing mm-hmm. rather than oh no I go to this church and you go to that church like no this is where the church meets in this location this mm-hmm. is where the church meets there so it's, it's a small splitting of hairs but I think it changes how we view ourselves
1: and I think this interview has had some real gold in it um, and we I'm just gonna say we're gonna need to bring you back uh, for some more episodes <laughs> so stay tuned for whenever those are coming out but I think we're gonna begin to wrap up here, but mm-hmm. man, this has been so so good so like as of right now um we're recording this at the end of twenty twenty two and you've got your hand in these four simple churches and one the pickleball basketball super fresh and new mm-hmm. where do you hope that that goes in this next year life expectancy of that one and then Speaking like practically with your own life, how do you also work and do all of this stuff? <laughs> like how do you have time yeah. for all the other responsibilities in your life?
2: Yeah, um so start with the first part. Where do I see it going? I have no idea uh, <laughs> What do you hope no, I know I know uh, but that that's just for me, Scott uh answering that way because I used to be someone who had a five year plan, a three year plan, and a one year plan with markers to get there. And with this journey in the last year, I'm just I'm I'm not planning out my life anymore. I'm letting God kind of handle a lot of things, not in the like BS putting trust in God, but in the genuine. I'm gonna live in the day, um, and see what happens. So what I hope for, and and we can I'm sure you've talked about this before. There's simple churches that meet that are just like a random multi-generational neighborhood-based community of people. That's kind of my Sunday brunch. There's kind of ones that have special focus, kind of, and that's maybe more of my Tuesday night group. And that's the focus is hey, we've all deconstructed Christianity. How can we kind of maybe make sense and find stability again in our faith? Um, and then there's kind of special interest groups, and that could be missional interest, or that could be even like recreational interest or group interest. So I imagine this Saturday group is going to be way more. It's going to be mostly men, um, which I don't know if we can fully call it that the full church's meeting if it's only men, um, even though a lot of places would call, <laughs> call that just fine. But yeah, my, my hope is that basketball, for me, it's been a part of my story since the beginning, but it's the great leveling field. You don't know how rich someone is unless you see the car they pull up in. You don't know what their background is. You don't know what their relationship status is. You don't know what and job did, they did They come
1: up with like a, a sleeve and a headband and <laughs> the new LeBrons. You're like, uh, you okay. still can't
2: tell, man, because that could be what they're spending all their money on. Um, and, and basketball is so much more multi-ethnic than the church has ever been for me. The court has always been more multi-ethnic than the church, and I don't love that. Um, but that that's just a reality in the American church. Um, so my hope is to just interact with mostly, it's going to be dudes, so I'm, I'm just going to be honest about that, uh, mostly interact with dudes that are probably lonely. Um, and hopefully, you know, if you look at the suicide rates of men, it peaks in their 20s and it peaks like 50s um, because I think 20s is just a rough time. Your brain's fully developing. You kind of crack. You have existential crises, whatever. And then 50s is that you've just spent 15 to 20 years, not having any friends. And so my hope is to create a safe place where guys can connect with one another, that they can hear each other's stories, they can bond, and that it would carry beyond that. My hope is actually that, you know, hey, say you love Saturday stuff and we don't have enough time to fully dive in anything. Come to Sunday morning, come to Tuesday night, come hang out with me on a Friday night at a pub. I don't know, I don't care. Um, so that that's my hope. I don't have a numbers goal, don't have any kind of metrics other than I hope guys that are generally not good at connecting just face-to-face but need a task to do together. That's generally how men need to connect. Um, Not to put a gender stereotype or anything, but generally men struggle with connecting face-to-face and do better when they have some kind of goal at hand. Um, So use basketball as that as a way to bond men together. Um, And it's already been cool. We've had about 10 guys the last two times. Um, And it's just been cool just to uh, see guys connect uh, through basketball. So that's kind of where I hope – it goes. Um, Scott, what was your other question?
1: <laughs> how do you, like the other responsibilities oh, of yeah, yeah. life? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I live? Working, vocational what, like, what does that look like for you? Because you're not getting a paycheck from any of this. No. Maybe one day they'll, no, not they'll be supported or something <laughs> along those lines. But yeah. um, how do you handle the other responsibilities of life? Yeah. Um,
2: so first off, my plan is to never get paid for any of this stuff. Not because I'm against it, like as a concept as a whole, but just for me personally. I think that keeps me safe part of being not Mark Driscoll is not being tracked by a salary to be put on a pastor front when I like it literally is providing for my family. Um, so to always have those separate, but so what I'm doing right now is I I work at a day shelter, um, for unhoused people and sex workers. It's just like a communal space. So in some ways it's literally another church (laughs) in some ways. Um, so I work there. That's that's my level of income. I coach basketball in this fall. So that's some more income. So that's that's how I live. I also host events in my apartment um, through this organization called Apartment Life. So my rent's cheap. So I kind of am wearing a lot of hats vocationally. How I don't get burned out, I think one is I, I know myself in a general good way. I think it's hard to fully know yourself. Um, so I know my limits. I know my capacity. And I, I think I generally have more capacity than most. So I don't recommend most people listening to this podcast should try to model their lives after me. They should talk to Jesus and stare at themselves naked in the mirror and figure out (laughs) what what it is Jesus is calling them to. Um, But two, and this is one I think everyone can do, is again, how are you internalizing what you're doing? If I internalize all these gatherings as this thing that I'm carrying, this thing that I have to drive, I would get exhausted. But if these are four separate groups or different lives where I'm just family with people, uh, then, then I think it makes it much easier to handle all of it. So again, I think it's just how you're internalizing. You internalize it as a stress. It's going to be more stressful. You internalize it as a family and connection. I mean, again, I love playing basketball, love eating food, love talking about Jesus. And I'm just, I have a scheduled time to do that, but that's not stress. It's, it's life. It's family. It's be like me asking you, Scott, Hey, how do you handle, uh, being married and hanging out with your wife all the time? Well, you probably enjoy it most of the time and you probably do fun things together. And, but it's not like, Hey Scott, man, Oh man, that's really tough. You got to Got to be doing all those things. It's crazy.
1: Just to be clear, if you're listening out there, Selena, I do enjoy it. It's great.
2: It's great. (laughs) Newly married.
0: Dude, it's been great having you on the show, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate all that Jesus is doing and in and through you here in the city. If folks want to connect with you, how could they do that? Uh, how could they reach out to you? And I would say, if you're in the Seattle area, particularly in the in North Seattle area, man, check my man out. Um, how could they connect with you?
2: Yeah, I've been waiting for this question because I've been smiling about my answer. Um, if you don't live in the Seattle area, don't connect with me. Uh, not because I'm a mean Extra cruel. connect with him <laughs> if you don't live in the Seattle I'm sure, area. I'm sure you can look up my name and find me on Facebook or Instagram and we can talk. Uh, but legit, don't don't connect with me. Uh, connect with your own neighborhood. There's leaders there. The Spirit's there. Jesus is there. You do not need to talk to me in Seattle to figure out how to follow Jesus in your city. You have the text. You have the Spirit. You have people. You do not need to talk to me. Now, granted, still listen to this podcast if you need some tips and pointers. <laughs> but uh, I, I just really much of like, I only want to have an influence in my neighborhood. Um, so if you live in the Seattle area, if you're in North Seattle, um, we can put my email in the, in the show notes and you can reach out to me and we can talk. But for real, I mean that. Like, I have enough on my plate. I'm not trying to be a world leader. Uh, I just want to love Greenwood, the neighborhood. Uh, it's like a little three-mile little neighborhood. So don't reach out to me. Reach out to someone in your neighborhood. Start your own simple church together.
0: Spam this man. <laughs> this is what I want to say. I spam will, this I will put man. it
2: in my spam <laughs> box, and I'll never read it.
0: Colton, love you, man. Love what Jesus is, again, doing in you and through you. Um, I love the realness here. And I I mean, you're in process. We're in process. And I think that that is on display today. Thank you guys for listening today. It was an amazing uh, show. Um, Feel free to reach out and interact. Feel free to send in some of your questions. Uh, Reach out at media at simplechurchcollective.com. We would love to interact with you.
1: And can't wait to have you back. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you'd like to support us more, check out our podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash keeping it simple podcast. If not, we'd love your support through subscribing, sharing episodes, and liking and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes to come.